In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Anything I want to know, anything I want to do, I just find somebody to teach me how to do it. Yep. That's it. For sure. I agree. 100%. But you got to humble yourself enough to be able to ask. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. And you could barely tell with how beautifully synced up our voices were. I'm here with our co-host, producer, good friend, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? Doing great, Jim. Doing great. You called me Jim this time, I not did. Jimmy. I thought I'd throw you, mad you at off. Me? Are yeah. you mad at me? Probably. Something underlying that I forgot about. I think you need counseling. So anyway. <laughs> I think we need counseling. Well, that's probably true, too. <laughs> Marriage counseling. Hey, I'm excited about our guest today. I met this guy in Albany, New York. We keynoted together at an Iron Sharpens Iron event. And I think what I love about this guy is he, he has a he has a huge heart for partnering with other ministries, uh, and I love that. The other thing I love about him is he says he forgets to eat, and so <laughs> he and I would be a great pair together because yeah. I would eat his food before he remembered to That's eat it. Right. So I'm really excited about hanging out with this guy some more. He actually has the number one rated podcast for Christian men's on iTunes. So I am a little jealous, mm. but we're going to bring him on in anyway and build him up because we're excited to have him. But before we do that, what's our man word, man? You got one for me? I do. I know what it is. Okay. <clears throat> Connect. Ha, you got Did it. Did I get it? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I make it so easy for you. You do make it easy. You yeah. make it easy. I appreciate it. Yeah. So why'd you go with connect? Well, you know, for me, this is huge because I love to connect. Uh, I love to fellowship. I'm the guy in the foyer that's handing out free creepy hugs. Giving out four-second hugs at will, <laughs> front hugs, full frontal hugs to men. So I just like to connect, make a difference in someone's day. Um, and, and if you're not connecting, I think sometimes you wither away and you kind of, it's not good for you, depression. Um, guys need to connect, and especially when you're going through rough times. And so that's why I, I agree 100%. In fact, I don't want to sound cliche, but I think real men connect. So, uh, Ooh, hey, that's speak, good. speaking of that, hey, do you have, speaking of connecting, you know, part of what we do to get up there in the search engines is we want to have guys connecting with our ministry through uh, some kind of review. Yeah. Anybody write a review this week? Yeah. This is by Mr. MLB. 
Major 19, League Baseball. 19, well, actually, that's initials for his name because his name is Matt, oh. Matt Brock. And he is, it's MLB 1976 from Springfield, Illinois. I actually, randomly, he just called me yesterday. He and I have been in oh. communication, so he's, a, I think it's Broche. I oh, you're right, Broche. Broche. Yeah. So, yeah, Broche is way better because you can be like, hey, Broche. Broche, how you doing, Broche? Yeah. So, yeah, hey, well, bro. thanks, Matt, and I will call you back, buddy. I've had a real busy week. Our yeah. board's flying in this week, and I just got done with our 48-and-a-half-mile death ruck, and so... Uh, Hit well, us I, up, buddy. We're going to swag you. We're going to send you some swag, man. So make sure you're just hanging in there. We'll, uh, let us know what your address is, and we'll send yeah. you some swag. You can, you can hit Dale up at, at uh, meninarena.org, and then I'll get back to you, and we'll get you all squared away, buddy. Thanks, Matt. Hey, man, I'm excited to bring our new friend on today, my guest on this show, Joe Martin. Joe is 50 years old. He lives in Ultawa, Tennessee. He's been married to his beautiful wife, Tanya, for seven years. And Joe is an international speaker. He was actually voted National Speaker of the Year by the Association for, for the Promotion of Campus Activities. He's authored or co-authored nine books, including Are You the Man? <laughs> I love it. 201 <laughs> Lessons I Wish My Dad Would Have Taught Me and The Real Man Spiritual Leader Blueprint. Joe is the host of Real Men Connect, which is the number one rated podcast on iTunes for Christian men. What does that mean? When you go type in Christian men, his is the number one that pops up right there. So super excited to get him on. Joe, how you doing, my man? I'm doing fantastic, Jim. And hey, Dale, shout out to you too, brother. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how's the, <laughs> how's the weather out there in Chattanooga? You're near Chattanooga, right? Yes, I'm like a, probably I could fall down and be in Chattanooga right now from as close <laughs> as we are to Uwa. But no, the weather is fantastic right now, man. Beautiful weather, great sun. You know, which means my wife is going to probably get me working out today. So oh, that's buddy. all. Wear your hat. Wear your hat, man. You're a bald man. Wear your hat, brother. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, do you get the humidity over there? Yes, we do. But I'm originally from Florida, Jim. So, to me, these people don't know what humidity is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Miami, man. I grew up in Miami, Florida. Oh, I mean, you sweat getting out the shower. I mean, <laughs> this is not humidity. Man. I'll tell you what. We have basically zero humidity in Oregon. So when humidity comes, we're just like, we just can't, Oregonians can't handle humidity and it rains all the time here. We only have two seasons, uh, rain and construction, but I'll tell you what, when the, <laughs> when the snow comes, Oregon shuts down. Oregonians just cannot handle the snow at all. It's pathetic. So anyway, hey, I man. love Oregon, man. I love Oregon. I love that place, man. Man, you got to come out and say hi. You come out and uh, hang out with us and we'll have to get you out here one of these days. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Love it. Love it. Hey, I'm going to throw you into our rapid fire round. Think you can handle it, Joe? Yeah, man, I can handle it. You know I'm good. No, I, you know what? I think you're the only guy I know that talks faster than me. So, so really? Yeah, you, you're. Well, my son Colton, my son Colton, you and him could have a rapid fire. You know, but I'm excited, man. I've got. I'm going to call this our buzzword round. I've never done this round before. These okay. are words that you have told me get you fired up. So I'm just going to ask you. Uh, uh, I'm going to give you a word, and I'm going to just kind of like. I'm going to like cock the trigger and, and when I give that word you're going to pull it and you're going to tell us why this word fires you up as it as it relates to manhood. So you ready okay. to rock and roll here man? Let's do it man. All right buddy. Here's the first one. Poverty. Poverty. Wow. The word that comes to mind is um clueless. <laughs> and I say clueless. Jim, I didn't know that I was poor until I was 12 years old. Whoa. And I grew up, I tell you, I grew up in Miami and specifically in a place called Liberty City in Miami. 
and um, we had the, the hood was so big. And for those who are out there who never heard of Liberty City, they heard of Miami, but never heard of Liberty City. If they've ever heard of the game called Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> it was based on one of the games was based on where I grew up. And so, Jim, when they're making a video game about your neighborhood, that's not a good thing, man. <laughs> no, no, especially that <laughs> video game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so um, I knew I was always around poor people, but I didn't meet a white child till I was 12. What? And so when I was bused to Thomas Jefferson Middle School, and I was so excited because I never met a white child before. I saw him on television, you know, <laughs> so, but I never touched a white child before. Right. So, oh, what a trip. Oh, man. So it was like Christmas Eve. I couldn't wait to go to school. But when I got to school, my world came tumbling down because um, I started meeting kids, black kids, white kids, Latino kids, Nicaraguan kids, you name it, Jewish kids. They all had more than what we had. And the reason I knew they did, because they were talking about stuff I couldn't relate to, like they had their own bedroom with a door on it. Right. So they had their own bedroom that they had um, they had this this gadget that they can and change the channel on their television without getting up called the remote control. And I thought they were making this stuff up. And they said they had this thing in their kitchen where they could put food in it and hit a few buttons and the food would be done like immediately called a microwave. Mm. So that day ended up becoming one of the worst days of my life because I didn't know that we were poor. So when I got home, that's why I say clueless is the word because I told my mom, I was with tears in my eyes. I said, mama, why didn't you tell me? She said, tell you what? I said that we were poor. And, and my mom thought it was cute and thought it was funny. And that's so sweet. My baby didn't know we were poor. I said, mama, that's not funny. I said, we're not even poor. I said, we poor. I said, you can't even afford the OR. I said, OR is layaway, right? So OR is a layaway. <laughs> so I was on 12. I was only 12 at the time. And, and I looked, I said, Joe, you didn't know. And the reason why I didn't know, because I was always around poor people. So I know that sounds like a weird word, but for me, that's the first word that comes to mind. You said to do that. So to me, it was clueless. I had no idea that we did. And that nowadays, we're we're we have our kids whining because that uh, they uh, have to pay for their smartphone bill themselves, or make a <laughs> yeah. pay for their car insurance on their car that's better than the one that we drove when we were, you know, adults. Right. And so it's it's insane how this world is. Uh, I don't know, digress maybe. So, wow. Well, so along that line, you said you went home to your mama. Uh, second word is a, the word abandonment. So talk to me about that word. My dad. Um, that pops up immediately. Um, my mom was a teenage mother, so she had me at the age of 16. So that day I came home from Thomas Jefferson Middle School, she was only 28. Oh, gosh. Um, so you're talking about a young one, a young mother who um, lost her um, dad when she was 10. Her mom, no, lo lost her dad when I was 10. So she's only had to be, I guess my mom was 26 when my grandfather passed away. And she lost her mother at the age of 12. And so, and she had... Uh, 11 siblings. <laughs> what? And so, um, yeah, 11 siblings. And so my dad got my mom pregnant when she was 16. My dad was, I guess, maybe 18 at the time. And um, when I was of age, I didn't know that he had left and he had left when I was only two years old. And so when I think about abandonment, um, I think about my father not being there and me losing my grandfather at 10. Now, is your dad in your life at all anymore, or did he leave it and never come back? No, he's in my life. I I've reconciled that because, you, as you can imagine, going through men's ministry and yeah. growing as a man, you realize that um, you have to um, make all those things right. Um, and forgiveness is more for you than for them. 
And so my dad and I, we have a, a great relationship now. Um, it's more like a friendship more than anything else, but it still is a, a great relationship. Um, I talk to him probably about every other week. Um, and so it's, it's good now. So this is not a word that you sent me, but you and I have talked a lot about this word and its effects on your life. And this runs uh, parallel to abandonment, and the word is mentor. Mm -hmm. And the first name that comes to mind is Howard Mintz, which was a man who changed my life. Um, I met him through his son when I was at a, a speaking engagement, and I was um, doing a book signing. And the last kid in the line, he was at a college at Florida International University in Miami. I was lecturing down there. Um, and he came up to me afterwards and asked me to sign um, one of my books to him on servant leadership. And he told me, um, I asked him his name. I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Micah. I said, oh, like in the Bible. He said, yeah. He said, but don't sign the book to me. I said, who do you want me to sign it to? He said, sign it to my dad. And you have to understand at that time I was in my, I guess I was in my thirties and I had sold a lot of books, signed a lot of books, have never had anyone ask me to sign a book to their father before, Whoa. ever. And so, of course, I asked the obvious question, who is your dad? And he says, my dad's name is Howard Mintz. I said, so where did I say, so where are you from? He said, I'm from Miami. I said, hey, man, I'm from Miami. He said, yeah, we live here in Miami. I said, so your dad, uh, what does he do for a living? He said, he's a school teacher. I said, hey, okay, what, what school? I know a lot of schools around here. What school? He says, I'm Horace Mann Middle School. I said, wait a minute. I said, Horace Mann Middle School is in Liberty City. He said, yeah, I know. I said, but you white. <laughs> right? I was like, <laughs> white people in Liberty City. That's what I told him, right? I said, dude, there's no white people in Liberty City. He said, no, we don't live in Liberty City, but my dad um, chose to teach in Liberty City. I said, really? I said, what does he teach? He said, he's, he's not really um, a subject matter teacher. He's in charge of indoor suspension. I said, wait a minute. I said, Horace Mann Middle School is the worst middle school in Miami. He said, I know. I said, your dad is at the worst school and he's dealing with the worst kids? He said, yeah. I said, what kind of man is this? Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit moved in my heart to give Micah my card, which I did. And he says, what is this for? I said, um, typically, I only give this card to guys who don't have mentors and don't have a positive role model in their life. I said, and you don't need my card, but something in my spirit tell me to give you this card. I want to keep track of you. I want to know how your life is going to turn out. For you to have a dad like that, man, is amazing. But to make a long story short, Jim, um, I get a call from his dad two weeks later after I fly back home and we struck up a conversation and there's a lot of stuff I'm leaving out here, Yeah, yeah but yeah. we struck up a conversation. He ended up inviting me down to speak at Horace Mann Middle School, as well as 15 other schools in Liberty City. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I had laryngitis by the time I left <laughs> and um, it changed my life because I got to do life with him for five days, five days. And he has a family of eight, not just Micah, it was seven other kids, five boys, three girls, and his beautiful wife. And I got to watch a real man in action for five days. Wow. Um, how he um, discipled his children and did devotional readings with them, how he prayed with his children, he had me help pray with his children, um, to how he communicated with his wife. And I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And by the time, at the end of the five days, we we're getting ready to leave, I asked him, I said, hey, with tears in my eyes, because he gave me this bag full of resources. Like, um, what's Robert Lewis's book, um, Raising uh, Martin, they yep, made it, yep. and other resources. And he's telling me how he used it with his sons and his daughters and how to, um, you know, be a good husband. And I started crying. He says, Joe, why are you crying? I said, my whole life, I've been asking for God to lead me to a mentor, 
uh, a father figure. And I say, for some reason, God has never brought that person into my life. And I say, and then I meet you through your son. I say, I know you have eight kids, but would you adopt just one more? <laughs> that was 15 years ago. And he's wow. still, he texts me at least every other day, if not every day. Wow. And that's... he's been mentoring and fathering me for the last 15 years. And that's funny because I don't remember him in conversation, but you've mentioned several other mentors. One of them just passed oh, away. Yeah. Yeah, because I realized now after, because Howard battled with um, cancer about maybe four or five years ago, and everyone was concerned for me because he's been like a dad to me now. They're like, oh, Joe, are you going to be okay? Because he was, he was given a death sentence. Oh. God miraculously healed him. And, and everybody, I told everybody I was fine because I was just thankful for the time I had with them. But it opened my eyes up to realize that one mentor is not enough. Oh, um, and so I started actively recruiting other mentors. And I mentioned coach Jeff Kasaya, who we recently lost. Um, he was speaking at going to us, speaking at a men's conference and we lost him. And so I have six. Now I got, you know, I'm down to four because I lost two of them in the past two months. And so, but Howard is still doing well. He's healthy. Um, but because of him, I realized that you can never have too many great men in your life. You know, it's interesting, man. I'm, I've got a guy coming on our podcast just after you, he'll be on the following week after you name Matt Lore. He works with mm -hmm. an organization called Dare to Be Different, Different with Emerson Egricks, who wrote Love and Respect. Anyway, yeah. in his book, he wrote a book called Who's Got Your Back? And in his book, he talks about adding one more accountability partner to his arsenal. And I'd never mm -hmm. heard of that before. And I thought, you know what? Men need to have accountability partners and mentors in their arsenal, yeah. more than just one. And you've had several. Right. And, and I mm -hmm. think that's so important. So, so let's move into this next word for you, man. Uh, the word is, and I, this one might be a tough one, but you wrote it down. I know this fires you up. The word is abuse. Mm -hmm. um, the buzzword that comes out now, I explain it, comes to me as um, um, silence. Mm. And the reason I mentioned the word silence, um, for the listeners out there, I was sexually abused um, by a family member after my grandfather passed away and I told you my dad was gone from the home, um, my mom um, struggled, as you can imagine, losing both of her parents before she was 26 years old. And so she struggled and she realized that she needed help with me. And she got the help of a family member who helped take care of me because my mom went through a severe depression. Uh, she started drinking. Um, she stopped uh, fulfilling her motherly responsibilities. I'm talking about cooking and cleaning and that kind of thing. Uh -huh. So my sister and I were pretty much left to take care of ourselves. My mom had two kids by the time she was 17. Wow. And so I was the oldest. And so she recruited this family member who came into our lives. And Jim, man, he treated me better than my parents. He, he took care of me. He fed me. He clothed me. He was the first male to ever tell me he loved me. As close as I was to my grandfather, my grandfather was one of those macho guys from the islands. He didn't express a lot of feelings, but you knew he loved you. But this is the first man who ever said the words, I love you. And I received that, but I didn't know he was setting me up. He was prepping me and preparing me because he was a predator. And he sexually abused me um, for three years. And the reason why I say the word that I give is silence, because my son, who um, now is 23, Kendall asked me, I guess Kendall was about nine years old and I told him about the abuse because it's important for the guys out there to listen. Yeah. You may have gotten past it, but you need to talk about it yeah. um, to your kids. So I'm telling Kendall about it and Kendall is crying. My son is crying over it. And he said, dad, why didn't you tell somebody? Why didn't you tell somebody? 
And I told him because I was afraid and I was scared. And then later that day, Kendall asked me, he said, Dad, if you could go back and change your life in any way, what would you have done differently? And he thought it was how I ruined a 16-year marriage that I would go not do that to his mom. He thought maybe it would be, man, I would never have grown up in the projects. I wish I would have grown up in a better home or whatever. I would have forgiven my dad sooner. But he was shocked. And he thought I said to stop the abuse. Yeah. And I didn't say any of those things, Jim. He asked his dad, what would you change? I said, Kendall, that's easy. I would have opened up my mouth sooner. Whoa. I wouldn't have been silent. I said, Kendall, if I could go back and see little Joe um, at 12 years old, I would say, it ain't your fault, dude. Yep. Yep. Just do what he did to your body. Don't let him do it to your spirit. Because if you let him do this to your spirit, you're going to wreak a lot, a lot of havoc on some innocent people. Me not knowing my wife and my son yeah. because I didn't open my mouth. And so when people hear the word, they say abuse. And they say, why would you come up with the word silent? I would go right now. I would tell somebody immediately because then the healing can begin. Mm-hmm. I didn't open my mouth about that abuse, Jim, until I was 33. Whoa. And by that time, I had lost so much, man, so much. And so I wish I can go back and do it all over again. That way I would have said something. Well, you know, it's interesting. What people don't realize is, and help me if I'm wrong here, Joe, but one out of seven boys and one out of three girls are sexually Mm -hmm. abused. Yeah. Isn't that accurate? Yes, it is. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to even add to that. um, I had a guest on my show and we were talking about that. It was a female guest. It's hard to get men guests to come on and talk about sexual abuse for some crazy reason. But um, I had a female guest on my show. I wish I could remember her name right now. But I asked her about those statistics. And I said, I don't get this. She said, the numbers have gotten worse for women, right? It's gotten worse for women. Because there used to be one in four. And it used to be one in six, right? Yeah. But now you notice it's one in seven and one in three. And I asked her about that. I said, that don't make any sense. She says, Joe, um, the numbers are lying. I said, what do you mean? She said, more women are coming out and less men are. Oh. And so the numbers, she says, the numbers are really is bad for the men, if not worse, but they're not telling anybody, so we can't compute it. So only one out of seven are the ones who are actually saying something about it. And so um, it's actually, even though one in seven sounds bad, it's a lot worse than that. Well, I'm, first of all, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And what I would tell any guy, and I know you would as well, is that you are the victim. You've been violated. Mm-hmm. And you may feel dirty and you may feel shame, but you are the victim. You've been violated yes. by somebody who – usually the person who abuses them is somebody who they trust. It's mm-hmm. a parent figure. It's a boyfriend. It's an uncle. It's a teacher. It's a coach. It's a pastor. And, uh, man, uh, th- th- there's no shame. You are the victim, and you need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, hey, what role do you think – what role – and I know you've got a passion for this, man. What role does fatherlessness pay, play, play in abuse – and some of the things that you've seen as you interview men on your podcast? It, it plays a huge part in it because as, as men, we are looking for the affirmation um, of the father. You know, when Jesus was affirmed by God, Jesus hadn't performed any miracles yet. He hadn't done anything, but God affirmed him. And so deep down in our spirit, deep down in our core, we want to be affirmed. Now I'm only speaking this from a cultural standpoint of growing in an environment where I grew up around a lot of men of color and there's a lot of anger in a lot of the boys. And I've worked, I've mentored boys. Um, You know, we have a a very multicultural ministry, but I also, I'm not naive to know that um, men of young boys of color need 
a lot more help yeah. because the numbers are worse on the fatherlessness when it kind of think is one out of three um, for uh, men of color. But they're in denial. When I say they, we are in denial that it even impacts us. And I just went through a program that we have called um, Boys to Real Men. It's six weeks that we take these boys from 12 to 17 through six weeks of pretty much hell <laughs> to kind of break them down to build them back up again. They do it with me and my wife. My wife's a fitness trainer. She's ex-military, ex-law enforcement. And we do these locker room chats. And then I ask the guys about the father wound. And I'm telling you, every one of them think they're okay. Really? This is what I'm telling you, Jim. They say, oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, no, my mom, my mom and I, we're great. And I used to say the same exact thing. And they have buried it so deep, they don't even think it bothers them. But here's how I prove to them that it's, it's worse than they think it is. They say, no, no, Dr. Martin. I'm, no, we're good. I'm not, I'm not, I don't miss my dad. He's never been in my life. I don't miss him. I said, let me ask you this. I said, your mom, they have to do a report card every week, an emotional report card with about the character. And the moms have to fill out and sign it, and the boys have to sign it. So I get it. So anytime they're in trouble, I get it. And one of the points I said, I said, you guys don't think you need a man? I said, let me give you an example how you don't even know how wounded you are. I said, how many of you, um, your mom had to give me a report card, and you didn't like what she had to write to me because you was concerned? And they all raised their hand. I said, now, check this out. Some of you, I said, how many of you by show of hands disrespected a teacher? They raised their hand. How many of you have talked back to your mom? They raised their hand. I said, now, listen to me. If you were my kid, would you have done any of those things? They said, no, sir. <laughs> they said, no, sir. I said, now, let me get this right. I don't feed you. I've never whipped your butt. I haven't wiped your nose and wiped your butt when you were a baby. I wasn't there in your life from Jump Street from day one to now. And you will respect me more than your mother and your teachers. Why? Because you need a man. Yep. In your life. And I said, so why are you breaking your neck to please me? Because you want to hear me say, well done. Mm. I'm proud of you. I love you. You have what it takes. You're man enough. Why do y'all freak out when I give you praise? Your mom is praising you every day. Yet you disrespect her. Why? I said, that's how deep the wound is. and You don't even see it. I said, does that make sense? Yes, sir. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Well, you know, yes. I had I had somebody on my show recently, and they were talking about very similar. And for them, they said they didn't even realize they had this deep father issue until they were mm-hmm. in their late teens, early adulthood. They yeah. just ignored it. It's part of real life. They start realizing, man, I'm functioning, thinking different. You know, uh, I agree 100%, Joe. I think we're... We get addicted as men to affirmation. You put men in the middle of a, you know, but b- get a bunch of guys together, and immediately they start having a, yeah, I call it a pissing contest. You know, they start, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. you know who did more and who's this and that, and yeah. whose wife is prettier and whose house is bigger and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and and we become, you know, we become. Uh, uh, you called it an overachiever. I call it a superachiever. And when I yeah. look at your life and I read your resume, you at some point in your life decided to become a superachiever. So tell mm-hmm. me, tell me about success and its impact on you as a super achiever based on this abuse and fatherlessness. Um, having those wounds that were not dealt with, with the abuse, my mom's um, drinking and um, her not being fully present physically. She was there physically, but not there um, emotionally, I guess, is, I mean, relationally that um, I felt abandoned. I felt alone. And I saw what was happening in our streets. I'm not a very big guy. You met me, Jim. I'm yeah. five or nothing, hundred or nothing. I'm not a very big guy. So 
I wasn't I wasn't a bully. I didn't join gangs, even though a lot of my friends were gang banging and all that other stuff. I didn't sell drugs, and a lot of my friends were selling drugs. I wasn't a hustler. I wasn't that kind of guy. I wasn't that dude. I wasn't even a dude that acted up in school. I never got suspended or even um, got a detention when I was in school because I was afraid that if they called my mom, she'd kill me. Yeah. And so I didn't do any of that stuff. So my self-worth, I didn't find it in Christ. I didn't find it in my faith, even though my mom made us go to church ever since I was a child. I found it in um, success. I figured if I just had the right job, I called that the Asians. If I just had the right occupation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if I had the right compensation, if I make enough money, if I had the right education, I get enough degrees. If I had the level of intimidation that you would respect me because of what you think I can do for you. And if I had the reputation that all the honeys thought I was great and they want to get with me, then that is going to make me a man. So I went overboard. You're talking about, I was the first person in my family to graduate from high school, the first to go to college. I barely graduated from high school with a 2.2 GPA, went to school with 10,000 students, but I was the only African-American male in all of my classes and graduated early at the age of 20, top of my university class. Had my doctorate degree before I was 28 years old, was earned over a quarter of a million dollars while I was in my 20s, had written four books before I was 30 years old, started my first business at 22, bought my mom a house a year after I graduated from college, bought my first home while I was a senior in college. When I say overachiever, superachiever, I'm talking about on freaking steroids. And you were also the and, youngest university professor ever at your school. Yeah, and became the youngest professor ever hired to teach in the state of Florida as a professor at the age of 24. And I worked for the Florida governor's office when I was 26 as a communications director. And so I thought, wow, I made it. Now everybody must think I'm the man. And guess what? I was right. Everybody thought I was the man. Uh, you couldn't tell me anything, Jim. Mm. I wouldn't listen to anybody because I had made it. And now forget my dad. I don't need a dad. Forget the man who abused. Nobody will ever have to hear about this because now no, everybody, all they will see is my success. So I tell people that if you don't deal with manhood the right way, um, either you're going to be faking manhood or you're going to be overcompensating for manhood. And I was overcompensating, um, trying to make myself feel more than what I was. I was trying to outrun my past. I was trying to hide from anybody that knew anything about me and how I grew up. So you didn't know I, was a, I grew up in the projects. You didn't know that I was suicidal from 12 to 16 years old. You didn't know, I didn't tell anybody about that because I thought my success will cover everything. It wasn't until I got married that it reared, reared its ugly head. And that's what started unraveling everything. Oh, man. Well, you know what? This is this is so good, man. You've unleashed so many questions that I have to that are rolling around in my mind. You know, you said that, that, that doing this uh, super achiever thing and this extreme success isn't the right way. Well, what, is, what did you discover is the right way to deal with your pain and your woundedness, your fatherlessness? What is the right way? Continue on your story. Well, it, 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 I wish I could tell you I was smart and I wasn't. It took God breaking me um, when I lost it all, um, risked my health. It's, it's amazing that um, I don't have AIDS. Um, I was a serial adulterer. And when I say a serial adulterer, you a serial adulterer, Jim, when I made up that word, that's not even a real word. I made it up because when you lose track of the number of women you've been with and how many times you commit adultery 
and your ex-wife, when you're trying to save your marriage and she's asking over a hundred and you said, please stop asking me. I'm sure it was well over a hundred. And so I pretty much lost my wealth. I'm surprised I'm not dead from AIDS. It's just, that still baffles me. That's God's grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. um, and I pretty much lost everything except for my son. And when your nine-year-old son, when your ex-wife is telling him that we're getting divorced and he looks at you and says, daddy, can't God fix this? Mm. And you can't tell him anything except, yes, he can, but we're too selfish to let him. I was too selfish to let him. And so I didn't, and, and this, what do you tell your son? I don't know how to be a man. I've been doing it by trial and error. I didn't mean to hurt your mom. I didn't know what I was doing. I just did what I thought. I just wanted to be better than my dad, not realizing that I set the bar too low oh. because I just had to be better than him. But your, your mom deserved better than that. But Kendall, I didn't know what to do. I, I wasn't taught. I didn't know how to lead uh, a wife. I didn't know how to, to disciple and discipline my children. I didn't know how to be a dad. And what I'm seeing in the media don't seem to be working. And, and I'm looking around my community. I'm looking around these people and they're impressed with me and I'm a hot mess. Yeah. Yep. They wanted me to help them out. And I'm thinking, why are you asking me about I'm a mess? And Jim, what happened? Howard. Howard. Uh, that day I went down to Miami to speak and I hung out with him for five days, changed everything. Wow. Because for the first time, I got a glimpse of what a real man looks like. Wow. And I remember calling my mom. My mom said, Joe, I heard you went back down to Miami because my mom was living in Pensacola, Florida at this time. I had moved out of Miami. And she said, Joe, how'd it go? And Jim, this is going to freak you out when I, <laughs> when I told her. She said, how'd it go? I said, Mama, you won't believe this. She says, what? I said, Mama, I met a Christian. Right? And you now, were going yeah, to I'm church. Saying, I'm saved. And you were going to yeah, church. Yeah, I'm saved. Yeah. I'm saved. She says, Joe, what are you talking about? You met a Christian. You meet Christians all the time. I said, no, Mama. I met a real one. <laughs> I don't know who we've been meeting. <laughs> who we seen. I don't know who those people are at our church. I don't know who these people that you see on television. Mama, I met a real Christian. That's so powerful. Mama, when I tell you, Mama, you have not met a person like this. Mama, you got to meet him. And she's thinking, Joe, what do you mean? My boy done lost his mind until she met Howard. And you're in your 30s. I'm in my 30s. And you're time. you're married. Married. And no, no, that's now I'm divorced, getting going through a divorce. Oh, okay. Okay. This is when I meet Howard. That's why I say I'm about losing everything. And I'm on the tail end of losing everything. And that's when I meet Howard. So God had to bring me to the end of myself. Then this man steps in and changes and rocks my world and changes everything. Had me questioning everything. And it wasn't that I didn't have good godly men in my life. What happened, Jim, and this is so important. These men led me to the cross. But they didn't teach me how to carry it. Oh. They didn't disciple me. They just left me. Man, you get now you're gonna make it to heaven. Great. But how do I love a wife? You'll figure it out. How do I raise these children? You'll figure it out. I'm sure just keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. But I watched this man live the Bible with his wife and his eight kids. I watched the respect those kids have for him on a daily basis. I watched how his wife looked at him in adoration. And I said, I want to be that kind of man. I just don't know how. And now I realize those men are out there. You got to look for them. 
and you got to find them. Then you got to humble yourself and say, Jim, I know you don't know me from Adam, but dude, I've been watching you with your sons and I've been watching you with your wife. Dude, could you help me out? Could you tell me how did you love your? How did you learn to love your wife that way? I know you didn't come out the womb doing that. <laughs> how do you raise true. those kids that way? I know they have to get on your nerves. They ain't perfect. How do you do that? Well, can over a cup of coffee, can I just meet with you once a week, once a month to ask you questions? Man, that's so good. Hey, we're going to take a break real quick. Hear from our sponsor. Come right back at you. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots on the ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. Well, you, you know, you're saying it over and over again, Joe. And, and, and you, when I first met you, you instantly started talking about mentors. You mm-hmm. instantly talking about, and I didn't realize how heavily they weighed on your life. But you still, to this day, lean heavily on mentors and heavily on oh, yeah. advice. And and even at the conference, I gave you a, I gave you a book, you know, because you know, and you literally read the whole book on the plane flight that I was on with you. I mean, you're a mm-hmm. you're a voracious learner. Is that is that a is that an attribute of humility? Is that an attribute of failure? Is that an attribute of what what, what really caused that motivation in your life? Well, it starts back growing up. Remember, I was an overachiever, right? Yep. And I thought, wow. Um, if I can just have success, you know, everything will change. If I can just make enough money, get the right job, get my mom out of the hood, this would be great. And I did all of that, but I realized it was fool's goal because God wanted me to have a personal relationship with him. And Jim, I just looked at it from the standpoint of this. I knew how hard I threw myself into learning as much as I could about the world and succeeding in the world, how to become a professor, how to write a book. If I'm going to give my life to Christ, why wouldn't I throw myself into it the same way? Why wouldn't I learn as much as I possibly can to get closer to him, to be more intimate with him? How I want to meet as many people as I can who can help me along this journey. All I got to do is ask them. Yep. And they'll give it to me. Are you serious? And, I, and so that's what I, so I just took the same fire that I thought was going to get me out of the hood. That's going to give me freedom. And I put it in the right direction. God, give me an insatiable appetite to get closer to you, to want to know more about you, to have as much as I can of you as possible. So that's so I'm that way now about being a husband, about being a father, about being a man. I can't get enough. Give me an that's insatiable why, you know, My appetite. podcast is the same way. That's why I like doing my podcast, to learn from these men. Scratching our own itch, buddy. Yeah. Right? We're yeah. scratching our own itch. Well, you said something earlier I want to go back to. It was very, very powerful. You said, hey, you can lead me to the cross of Jesus but it's about carrying the cross of Jesus. Can you tell me 
what that means to you to carry your cross versus leading you to the cross and how that carrying your cross has affected your new marriage, has affected your son Kendall, has affected essentially everything. How, how do men need to understand what carrying the cross means in life? Well, basically the simple answer to that is coming, the person, and I thank God for John, and ironically his last name is Ramos too, who led me to rededicate my life to Christ. He was one of my former students, one of my former students who led me to Christ. And um, he led me to salvation. See, that's to the cross. But to carry the cross, I need I need discipleship. I need to know how to follow him. And when I didn't have that connection with John anymore, I couldn't, I didn't know how to follow. What you tell me that I need to have a, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And what does that look like? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't just tell me that. I'm going to punch you in the face. That's not, that's cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, yeah. You going to tell me to be a man and you going to show me? Come on. Don't do that to me. Don't leave me here. Show me what it looks like. Walk it out in front of me. I, I, I'm, I'm a pretty decent learner. I can I can do what you tell me I need to do, but you need to show me what it looks like. And so that's to me, there is salvation in discipleship. We're not making disciples. And so how's it impacted my life? I'll tell you what has impacted my life. Anything I want to know, anything I want to do, I just find somebody to teach me how to do it. Yep. That's it. For sure. I agree 100%. But you got to humble yourself enough to be able to ask. Um, right now, I think I, I mentioned it. I'm mentoring. I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not, Jim, but I'm mentoring a guy who's 83 years old. You did tell me this. 83. And this guy came to me and said, Joe, I don't know how to be a man. I'm like, dude, you're 83 years old. And you've been married longer than I've been living. <laughs> he said, Joe, just because he said, just because um, I'm older than you doesn't make me more mature. It just makes me old. Yep. And that's what I realized that there's nothing wrong for me asking you for help. It just means I don't know. I tell men we have all these learning disabilities that we, we medicate all these kids. My background is in education. They're ADHD, um, you know, ADD. Then there, but there's that other thing, that other learning disability we have that's not been diagnosed. ABT ain't been taught. <laughs> and we haven't been taught I, and we're afraid it. to admit it to anybody. Yep. yep. I don't know what I'm doing. We, we rather pretend that we know and stay stuck on stupid. Didn't realize that I need some help. And I was stuck on stupid for a long, long time, much longer than I should have been. Well, and the funny thing, you're help. saying stuck on stupid. I'm going to say you're stuck on pride. And the pride mm-hmm. did not give you the ability to ask. You said earlier, humble yourself to be able to ask. If we are not able to ask because of our pride, that really does equate to stupidity. Yeah. Because we know yeah. what to do and we don't ask it. And I'll tell you what, I, you and I, Joe, we're running with some, we're running with some pretty pretty impressive men. God, God, yeah. Thank God for that. And I have found that every one of these guys I ask for help, they're more than willing to help. Yeah. I mean, they're like, Hey, thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, asking. you know, cause it's like, man. So, Hey, this is, Hey, this is so good, man. Uh, I love this. I, I really want to take a couple minutes and fi- find out about your ministry though. Cause you, you got these mentors in your life. Uh, you, you, you were led to the cross, but then you began to carry your cross and you've had this explosion of ministry, uh, and you've got a cool thing going on. You're the number one rated Christian podcast for men. It's funny, Joe, when you went and told me that, I went, well, what are we rated? And I realized we weren't even on there as a Christian podcast. We were rated really? as we were a nonprofit, so we switched our name. <laughs> so we changed it up a little bit. So hopefully we can chase your tail a little bit. Hey, so tell us about Real Men Connect. Tell, you know, what's your mission? What, 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 why do you exist? Why did you come up with this name, Real Men Connect? 
Well, yes, there's a couple of questions. I'm going to give you the um, shortest version of an answer so you can ask more questions about it. But basically, um, well, I'll try to start with the name. Um, I came up with the name Real Men Connect. It's actually Real Men Connection. And my wife suggested that, Joe, you need to shorten that. And I said, why? She said, Joe, because Real Men Connection is good, but Real Men Connect, that implies action. Yeah, yeah. This is a noun, but it can be also perceived as a verb. And said, Joe, isn't that what you're all about? That you say the reason why men are struggling the way they're struggling is because they don't connect with real men. They connect with males. LeBron James, I'm not trying to throw LeBron James on the bus, but I'll even put Bill Gates. You know, they'll they'll connect with those males not knowing what kind. Do you know what kind of husband Bill Gates is? Do I know what kind of husband LeBron James is? Do I know what kind of father he is? All I know is what he does on television. That's not fair to LeBron. True That's statement. not fair to Bill Gates. I don't know those men, but I'm not connecting to the men that I do know. And I'm tired of connecting to guys with big paychecks and big titles. I said, you want to impress me as a man? You know how it would impress me as a man, Jim? Not the size of you and how strong you are and how much money you make. You know what? Bring your wife around me. I want to see the smile on her face. That's how I measure a man, by the size of the smile on his wife's face when he's in her presence. Yep. Is she looking like you, like I'm going to kill him? Or do you see my husband? Isn't he awesome? Does she have a beautiful countenance or is she frumpy? Yeah, does she and have like a countenance about it that she's glowing? That you think, did they just have sex? What happened? <laughs> why she's so, why she beaming? Well, you That's can, what yep. I look for. You can tell, you can tell how a guy treats his wife by how she looks. And I'm yes. not talking about physical beauty, like, you know, no. plastic world, but I'm talking about a woman's countenance. She walks in the room. You can tell how she's treated by her man. Every t- I think so. You know why, Jim? Because guess what? You can't impress her with a microphone in your hand and writing books. That doesn't impress her. Nope. It's how you love her when nobody's looking. Hey, I got to tell you this. I got to tell you this. I got to brag about this a little bit. So my wife got, we did this 480, 48 and a half mile death ruck. We just finished a group of 11 of us. And mm-hmm. my feet were beat up bad, bro. Well, I get, I get to the end of the trail. I get a phone call from my wife that her car, she got T-boned and, and totaled her car. Oh. So I got home and I ended up spending an hour rubbing her feet. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I thought this is a good man moment right here, baby. You know, but I mean, oh, yeah. but hopefully when she walks in the room and you meet her, you'll be like, okay, Ramos, I get it. That's, that is nothing more than a thousand foot rubs right there. What I'm seeing, you know what I'm saying? And Jim, you, you bring up that point and I'm going to get back to real men connect and what we're about. But when I met Howard, that was something that stood out to me when I came to his house and his wife and his children were all at the door. I thought they were there to greet me. Oh, did we have a guest? This is going to be great. Dr. Martin is here. They're impressed with my title and what I do. They were excited, but they wasn't excited to see me, Jim. Oh. They were excited to see Howard. And all the kids except for Micah, because Micah was like starstruck. I can't believe Joe Martin is at my house. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. But other than Micah, everybody else gravitated towards Howard and his wife. And I'm thinking... Did he just come from boot camp? They just came from work. Did he? Like, wow. When was the last time he home? You know, was he home this morning? Yeah. But they <laughs> they greeted him with this this happiness and this joy, as if he'd been gone away for weeks or something. And I thought it was weird. I didn't. I just thought it was weird. But then I noticed the level of respect he had in the home, and how much they the daughters and the sons and dad can I talk? I'm like kind of man is this he had me question my own masculinity mm. and i and i tell him and i said not once did um howard hit me with a bible not one did he cre- preach scripture to me 
But I said, I said, if you really want to make an impact on man, make sure that your life demands an explanation. And Howard demanded an explanation. I needed to ask him, dude, what's up with you? I don't see women responding to husbands they've been married to for over 20 something years that way. Yeah. I don't see kids who are teenagers down to the little ones respecting their fathers that way. I, they're saying yes, sir, to you. And I, I don't, what's, what's up with that? I'm not used to seeing that. I grew up in a neighborhood when an adult would speak to a kid, he would say, F you. That's what I'm used to seeing. Yeah. I ain't used to seeing this. And so that's so your life should demand explanation. But to kind of summarize, I'm going to give you the simplest way to de- define our, our, our ministry. And it ain't pretty. Okay. <laughs> and it ain't flowery. It is simple as this. It, it's much deeper than this, but this is the only way I can explain it. My ministry exists to eliminate every man's excuse for not being a real man. That's it. Give me an excuse of why you're not a better husband or better father. Well, Joe, um, I didn't have a mentor. We got that covered for you. Well, Joe, um, you don't understand. I've been abused. We got that covered. Joe, I used to have an alternative lifestyle and I had, well, had attraction to, 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 um, to other. Now I got attraction to men and I'm thinking something. We got you. Give me the, but Joe, I don't have men I can trust. We got you. Give me, I said, we can do this all day. When are you going to realize that you're the problem? Yeah. Not your daddy, not your mama, not your where you were raised and how you were raised, how much you were abused. All that stuff happened and my heart breaks for you. Me too. But now those days are long gone. What are you going to do about it today? You need to learn how to forgive. We got you covered. You need to learn how to deal with abuse. We got you. You need community. We got you. You need coach. We got you. You need whatever you need. I want to eliminate all your excuses so you can finally accept responsibility. And now let's say, now are you ready to move forward? Let's go. That's what I love about what you do, Joe. And I love your heart because you could have taken the path of a victim, mm-hmm. but but you chose to, you went the path of the victor, you went overboard and you kind of bounced back, but you, you realize that the guys want to live in this victim mentality and excuses, but you said you want to eliminate every man's excuse. And I get it. I agree with you, but, but I went on your website and you've got it. There's a, there's more to it than that. You know, when you say to a man, we got you, you're not just saying, hey, we got you. We're going to hold your hand. We're going to lock arms. We're going to lock shields. You have a, you kind of have a three-tier level to your ministry. You, mm-hmm. Your mission is to mentor, support, and disciple men who will choose the world for Christ, who will change the world. Right. So you're saying we got you, but you're saying, hey, here are the three ways we got you. Can you walk right. us through mentor, support, and disciple and how your ministry does that? Yeah, mentor is making sure that you don't ever have to do life alone. Um, that you have um, some place you can turn for that support. Because the mentor kind of leads into the support. Um, the, but the mentor can be one-on-one um, with an individual. The support comes in when the community is around you. Um, the way I, I tell guys when we they come in to join our ministry is that if I said I was going to divorce Tanya, my wife, and if I did it from, let's say, from out of town. I said, Tanya, I'm coming home and get my clothes. I'm out of here. You know, you're just getting on my nerves. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I stopped. You know, I don't, I'm not in love with you. I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. I say, if I did that, there's going to be at least Jim, at least a minimum of about 25 guys on my lawn and I'm not getting into my house. That's support. And as soon as I show up, I'm like, what y'all doing here? Tanya called us. (laughs) I said, but I got to get my clothes. Dude, you ain't going in that house. Joe, now I know you think you're pretty strong, but Joe, you got to go through 25, at least 25 of us to get in the house. 
That's support. Now, the discipleship part, the mentor is just being that that's the connection. The um, support is the community. But the discipleship is the coaching. See, with the coaching, discipleship, now I'm going to say, watch, look over my shoulder as I follow Christ so you can follow along. I'm not going to leave you at the cross. You, you know, you don't know how to forgive. Watch me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to teach you. You don't know how to have a personal, intimate relationship with Christ. I'm going to show you how I will teach you. In other words, when I'm done with you, you be able to take another man and teach him exactly what I taught you. Jesus told us to do that. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Teach them to observe everything that I've taught you. But he said to observe. That means I got to see it. Yeah. Don't just tell me, show me. So we're going to show you how to have a quiet time with God. We're going to show you how to memorize scripture and incorporate it into your life. I'm not going to just tell you to do it. I'm going to show you how to do it. We're going to show you um, how to um, pray. I'm not going to say go pray. No, you need to be taught how to pray. Your ABT ain't been taught. (laughs) I'm going to show you how to pray. I'm going to show you how to worship. I'm going to hold your hand and I'm going to show you how to spiritually lead your wife, how to wash her in the word. I'm going to show you how to have devotionals with your children. I'm going to show you how to pray for your wife. I'm going to show you how to open up your heart and be vulnerable with your wife. I'm not going to tell you you need to open up your wife. I'm going to show you how to do it. And you can ask as many questions as you want to. Now, as I show you, I'm going to show you when I messed it up, when I got it right. And now you should be a much better man than me because you don't have to repeat the same mistakes. Just do the good stuff I'm showing you. So if I'm a guy. I'm going to show you all of that. If I'm a guy. I mean, I'm fired up right now. If I'm a guy listening to you say this right now, I'm. You're in you're in a you know in the Chattanooga Tennessee area and I'm living in let's say uh, Albuquerque New Mexico and I hear this I'm like man I'm fired up about this what and I reach out to you what is the conduit through which you're showing them you talked about a community is there mm-hmm. a is is that where Real Men 300 comes in yes okay, okay explain Real Men 300 because I saw that I thought okay this must be this next step so uh, tell me how that works. Yeah, the real men 300 is the step when guys are really serious. Because what I realized is that a guy, we as men, we want stuff, but not willing to do what it takes to do it. So a lot of times, and, and I hate to say it this way because we might lose all our listeners now when I tell them this. Real Men Connect podcast, the Real Men Connect mentor, it's a filter. It's just to give you a taste to see how, how serious you are. Top of the funnel, baby. Yeah, it's just the top of the funnel. Because yeah. if you come to our website or you listen to our podcast, great, we got all these listeners. But I'm not convinced you're serious yet. You're just having your ears. You're just getting it through the ear gate. But when you're ready to get serious, we have something called the Real Men 300. And the Real Men 300, that means now you have to put your faith into action. That means you're going to be meeting with us every week. Every week via video conference, we're going to see you. And for the guys here locally, we actually meet up during the week here in Chattanooga. But it's all over the world. We meet every week. And guess what you're going to have to do when we get together and the meet? We're going to ask you about your week. What do you need to confess? What do you need to change? What do you commit to change that we can hold you accountable to? How much quiet time do you spend with God? Oh, we need to have a more intense session on teaching you how to have a quiet time and showing you how to spend time with God and how to journal. So we're giving specific hands on. This is what we're going to do life with you together in this community. And we're going to sign you with what we call best men. That means when you come into our group, 
you're going to be assigned. You don't get to pick them. We're going to put you with best men. Remember that when you got married, now you can't even find your best man now who's at your wedding. Now you're going to have a guy who's going to be checking on you every week. And you're going to see me every week and as well as the other guys. And you're going to get messages from me. In other words, this is going to sound crazy. In the Real Men 300, here's what happens. They join, their lives will change. Jimbo, check this out. Guys leave and they never respond to my calls or text. They never, I never hear from them again. Yeah. They're scared. Oh, for sure. So now this, I thing, don't, go ahead. We, we filter them and we from either they stay in and they get their lives changed and transformed in the community of men, or they say, I'm going to block this dude's number. I'm not going to ever answer another call from him because they're scared because they know now they're going to be held accountable. Well, they're scared. You said on your website, we are males by birth by and men by choice. We like to say a man is as a man does. And man, yeah. manhood is scary for a male. Yes. You get in that filter in there and they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's easier to be on whoa, the whoa, outside whoa. and hey. be a man. It's easier to talk <laughs> about being a man than actually being one. And so so now this Real Men 300, how big are these communities before you split them up? I mean, what is your ideal community size? How does that work? Well, we have um, – t- well, when we come together in the meetings, that's when the size matters. We have a, a general meeting where we meet once a month where the guys come in and we call it men's development, where we talk about a main issue that normally is not talked about. I got gotcha. you. And we do that. And that's a kind of open forum. Guys can kind of come. But you have guys on that who won't say a word. They'll just take it all in. Right. But then guys will share. So if we're talking about, OK, masturbation for the whole call, <laughs> you know, some guys don't want to admit how often they're masturbating. Yeah. So I mean, yep. and so but that's the general call. Now, those groups can be as large as we want them to be because you can participate on the level that you want to participate. But typically, since we meet most of those guys, they're they're afraid of what the topic may be. So they don't know. They may feel they're going to have to be exposed. But we have a weekly group. Now, that group can be as large as we want them to be. And it varies in size. Yeah. But we have a weekly meeting. That group, that gets out of hand sometimes. <laughs> That's when everybody has to participate. And so what we have to do, we have to break those up into different option times that they can go. Because we try to keep it through. We want it to be to six to eight guys. But it immediately gets out of hand. It'd be 12. <laughs> 50. And and this it works, but it's better when the group is small. Well, in our so we, we have yeah. to branch off. See, we have mm-hmm. our podcast, we have our forums, we, you know, mm-hmm. it's men in the arena. So you have th- guys from 86 countries on this thing. And then from that, we have our real time and our virtual teams that are weekly studies. So very, right. very similar. I really it's love similar your, to that. I love your method, man. I love what you're doing. I love your heart. Man, I just I, I just resonate with this. I'm just thank God there are guys like you. In the Tennessee area, the guys like me in the the Northwest and guys all over the country. And what's give us one piece of wisdom you want to leave with these guys? I have a feeling I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I guess if it to me the the wisdom I get, it probably, I'm gonna see if I can throw you a, a curveball. Oh, I, hey, I'm, I'll hit it to right I, field. I wanted bro. to be something that you wouldn't have thought I would say. Okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I did that on your I did that on your show. <laughs> yeah, you did that to me. So I'm gonna try to see if I can do it to you. So I'm, I'm stretching myself. What can I tell you that Jim wouldn't expect me? To oh, say? I love it. I will put it this way. I will go with this statement and, and I'll explain this way because I think men will get it. That regardless of how strong you think you are, and you could be very strong, you're only as strong as the number of godly men you surround yourself with. And the way I get them to understand this is that in the history of humanity, whether they're Christian or non-believer, because we may have some non-believers who are listening to this, this show. Yep. Let's, let's get real. 
in the history of humanity, of mankind, have you ever heard any man on the planet, I don't care, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, it doesn't matter, ever say these words, Jim. I have too many great men in my life. I need to cut some of them loose. <laughs> I need to get rid of some of these dudes. I got too many great friends and too many great brothers. I don't need this many. Have you ever heard any man ever say that before in your life? It's usually the opposite. And if that's, and if, now, here's that. It's just the opposite. So if you if we can't ever have, if, we, if nobody's ever complained about having too much, that means we can never have enough. And so if we can never have enough, how come you're not getting greedy? Ah, get greedy. There's the I had a ball. guy who um sold a, a, a generous seed into our ministry. Asked me one day, he said, Joe, I've been following you. I've been watching you. And he says, Joe, let's cut to the chase. Tell me, what's your vision for Real Men Connect? And I told him, I said, just cut to the brass taxes. Yeah, I said, I want to be the Nick Saban of disciple making. That's it. I said, you have, I said, I can't even stand Alabama. <laughs> I don't even like Nick Saban. But you got to love Saban. Yep. But that dude competes every year. He's in the running. Why? Because he has a great team of coaches around him, mentors. And he recruits the best players. And he coaches them up to the point that when he loses his coaches, he's just, guess what? They go on to coach other teams who compete against him for national championships. I want to be that guy. That's Sweeney. I want, yeah, exactly. I want to be the Nick Saban beside me. I want to make sure no man ever has to do life alone and no man ever gets left behind. I, that's what I'm doing. That dude wrote us a huge check. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> hey, because you went from being a $250,000 a year guy to a I know what you make kind of guy. <laughs> that's right. And, and we I like am those. Not we in like those. Fashion service making that kind of money. Anymore. We we love those uh, checks coming in because uh, as crowdfunded organizations like we are, we need all the help we That's get. That's right, man. Hey, man, I, right. I I appreciate what you're doing. How can our guys get a hold of you if they're saying, "Man, I really connect to this guy. I want to be a part of Real Men Connect." What's the next step? Is there a way they can reach you? Yeah, very easy. Just go to realmenconnect.com. That's it. Realmenmenconnect.com. And there, whatever they feel the spirit is drawing them to, they'll have access to any resource that we have, and they can find out more about it. Realmenconnect.com. And if they listen to your podcast, Joe's going to tell you, leave a review. <laughs> That's right. Always leave a review. That's <laughs> and, right. And, hey, and just in case you're wondering, we steal each other's podcast guests. So don't get weird. We're on the same team. <laughs> I've got about 20 list names I got to get from you, bro. So, hey, it was All great right. having All you right. on, man. Sure, appreciate your heart. And, guys, what's the next step? Let's not walk away from this thing just getting a lot of great information and being inspired by a great guy. Let's get some boots on the ground. Guys, here it is. Here it is. Your job is to find a Howard. That's right. Find a Howard. Find a mentor. Who out there, as you watch their life, you see their wife, you see their kids, you're like that guy. That's the guy. Find a Howard. Don't screw around. Add a Howard to your arsenal. Get greedy, as Joe said. Man, we look forward to hearing great stories of transformation as you find your Howard, guys. We'll also post our Boots on the Ground moment on, with our, on our equipping blast. You can subscribe to that by going to meninarena.org. While you're there, grab a free PDF version of our bathroom book for men. Make sure you head on over to the Facebook and join Men in the Arena Closed Facebook Forum for Men and get involved in the daily conversation about what a man is and does. If you don't have Facebook, don't worry. In about two weeks, we're starting launching a brand new website, have our own form for you guys that don't have 
social media. Hey, did you guys know that Men in Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization? We exist to inspire men to become their best version. And because a large group of generous donors like you were able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, and all our resources are free to missionaries and guys in underdeveloped nations. You can find out how you can support our great cause at menarena.org. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Find a Howard. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.